This is the Rhino for Mets Weekly, and you're listening to the official Mets Weekly podcast, hosted by four Mets fans who are brutally honest and don't hold anything back. Be sure to head over to our YouTube channel, follow us on TikTok for exclusive content on each platform. So with all that being said, let's go Mets and enjoy the show. Andrew, do you believe in ghosts? Nah. You don't? Okay. Because over the last few weeks, I've been seeing like this bright shadowy figure floating down my hallway and making like these mixed noises and I'm hearing them from my attic. Eventually, like, you know, a few days later, I had enough. I went upstairs to the attic to see what was going on. So I walked back to the back of the attic. The noise just keeps getting louder and louder and louder. I look to my right. And I lock eyes with a young man sitting on a dusty box. He slowly gets up, looks me dead in the eyes, holds out his hand for me to shake it, and says, Hi, my name is Matt Allen. Episode number 40 of the Mets Weekly Podcast, 60 Minutes of Brutal Honesty, begins right now. So as for your usual house cleaning, make sure to subscribe to the Mets Weekly channel for the premiere of this very podcast every single week. Turn on post notifications for instant live streams for breaking news all off-season long. Follow us on Twitter, TikTok, as well as all of our individual links that are in the description. So as we get closer and closer to spring training, closer and closer to pitchers and catchers reporting, this was, I'd say, a pretty productive week for the Mets. They addressed a area that had a few question marks, had a few slip-ups waiting to happen, that being the bullpen. So we're glad to see some upgrades, some upside, some talent being added to that area. Yeah, at least we got to see multiple moves made within the same week as we are in the month of February. Looks like the Mets might be done as far as when it comes to major league signings. And if there's going to do anything else, it's probably going to be very, very lower level. So it looks like this is the team that they're rolling with. Uh, you know, I definitely feel better about the team this week than I did maybe last week when we talked about the bullpen. So uh, I'm just looking forward to it and then just seeing if these guys actually pan out. Pushing Drew Smith down the totem pole, which is always a great sight to see. And again, like you said, arm talent, young, some upside guys, some guys who just Velocity, I guess, is the kind of the key word we'll say a lot of because you add guys who actually can throw the ball over 95 miles an hour. Mets didn't do that very well last year. So, again, Stearns is going in that bag of finding relievers, and he finally grabbed a couple that people know who don't have to just dive to baseball savant to find beautiful things. He brought in a few guys who I wouldn't casual should know. And I think, again, adding depth to the bullpen has been a thing we wanted. And now you've had some major league depth. Obviously, he's added minor league depth throughout the winter. Now we add some big league depth. Very refreshing to see because we all know that last year with the loss of Edwin Diaz, I believe we're like one of two or three teams that did not have a single pitch over 100 miles an hour, which, again, velocity isn't everything, but it is a decent mark that you need in the bullpen for high leverage pieces that need to get strikeouts. And the Mets have added quite a few high profile velocity pieces this offseason, including the two that they had this week. So it's definitely promising. They've made the bullpen deeper. We'll see if they have any other moves up their sleeve. But as for right now, 
let's get into what the Mets did this week. As we can stop teasing it, let's just get into it. First being left-handed pitcher Jake Diekman, who has agreed to a one-year, $4 million contract. Diekman is coming off a 2023 season that was the tale of two acts with the White Sox and the Rays after posting a 7.94 earned run average and 11.1 innings pitch for the South Side. Tampa worked their trademark magic on the waiver wire, and the veteran Southpaw was off and running. With Tampa, Diekman posted a 2.18 earned run average, 3.21 fielding independent pitching, striking out 28.6% of batters across 45.1 innings pitched. Diekman is a hard-throwing side slot lefty with a running action fastball sinker combo that sits at 95 to 96 and tops 98. A 2800 plus RPM sweeping action slider, side spinning changeup in the high 80s, and a gyro style cutter. Along with plus command, Diekman limits hard contact in the home run ball at a great rate, but he has had massive Massive control issues throughout his entire career. But according to Pat Ragazzo, Diekman was able to smoothly tweak his delivery while with the Rays organization that resulted in less walks and more whiffs and chases, which really impressed the Mets this offseason, viewing him as a viable external option in free agency. Diekman will be entering a 37-year-old season with his contract including a $4 million vesting option for 2025, which can be reached with 58 games played in 2022. He's been one of my favorite relievers throughout the year. He's been one of my favorite trade targets for agent targets. We've, like we said, over since the show started. So uh, the fact that they don't get Wandy Peralta, Wandy gets that big optionable four-year deal. They don't pivot. And we made the joke about, oh, they're going to add a lefty. Well, it's going to be a Met reunion somewhere. And thank God and Deakman was like that last guy, oh, one of the only guys being like, please don't bring Met, you know, who does, who does not have any Mets ties. But again, more velocity at 95. And you compare him with Brooks Raley having those two weird three-quarter slot release lefties. One can throw your soft junk. Then you have Diekman now as you're just straight-up velocity junk out of that arm slot. So it also gives you the ability now that Brooks Raley, I guess, is tr your true setup man now. Because you can have that secondary left. We make the joke in old-school baseball. Bryce Harper's up in the sixth inning, two men on. You can go to Deke. Raley's left for the later in the game, or can be your true number eight, eighth or seventh inning guy, whoever, how Lopez or whoever else is hot at the time, a more ability to play matchups. Again, you have a rookie manager, which again, everyone kind of just forgot about. Oh yeah, we got a rookie manager too. So to, maybe he does have that more old school style mentality of, hey, playing the matchups. Now you give him that extra bullet in the, in the chamber with Diekman. But again, he's been one of my favorite relievers to go out and get. Uh, and the fact that he's coming back from Tampa Bay, Always a good thing because, again, like these, like you guys said, the tweaking of the arm slot. I'm not saying it's going to completely correlate, but, hell, if he's 75% of what he was in Tampa Bay, I will gladly take it as your second lefty in the pen. And, again, more velocity, just more velocity coming out of this pen. And has a little snarl, a little bit of snarl, like I've said at the beginning of the offseason. You know, we've had a very basic, you know, normal pen. Jake's got a little bit of snarl you can add to that pen, which is I'm all for a little bit of fire, so – Again, I love the acquisition. It's a one-year deal. The vesting, do we, did we find out what the vesting requirements are yet or still no? I, I just said it. So you got to clean out your ears. Yeah, I'm deaf. And the dog's there. I got a dog I got to take care of. He's a 58 games played in 2024. Oh, okay. So doubt he's getting to 58 games. But if he does, maybe that's a good sign that he's pitching well. So again, it's the, I don't love, again, giving a 37-year-old reliever to a one-year with the vesting option that can be hittable for a second year. But again... It's four million bucks. It's cheap. It, I've got. There's no issue with the money. Again, the option. Again, if it's good, whatever. It's just have a second lefty. I'll be fine with it. So 
I'm just happy they didn't just pivot to say, hey, uh, let's bring back Aaron Loop or Brad Hand or Joel A. Rodriguez. They went with the best option left on the board. Jake Diekman is someone we've talked about for multiple years now as far as being a target for the Mets. Uh, we've been looking for the second lefty in the bullpen or the first lefty in the bullpen and things like that. So, you know, when Joel Rodriguez was our only left-handed, we're like, man, we could really use a different one. So, Diekman is someone that's been on our radar for a while now. Glad to see the Mets finally get him. And to me, obviously, the big thing was that he made the fixes in Tampa Bay, was able to get back on track. This is a guy who did well when he was with Oakland, came to Chicago, did not pitch well. And what I like about Diekman compared to a lot of the other signs the Mets have had, the Mets were getting these guys off of bad years to one-year deals where it's like, okay, now we have to try to fix them. Whereas in this case, you have a guy who already was fixed by Tampa Bay, and it just becomes a lot easier to make try to replicate what he did there and not try to reinvent the wheel or do anything too crazy. I just like that, you know, Tampa Bay basically did the hard work for you and you reap the benefits. The Mets did the same thing with Aaron Loop, where Loop, he went to the Rays and all of a sudden he was pitching really well. And then the Mets just kind of picked up where he left off. So I do like that they were able to do that. And because my critique has just been they've been getting so many guys coming off of bad years or you know, close the, year, the end of the year bad, things like that. The fact that this guy actually ended the year on a positive note and then they're yeah, using him and again, a much more low leverage role. I really like that aspect of it too. And what Andrew was saying, as far as like the arm angles and things like that, you know, we'll get to the other guy that they added, but you now have a lot of different looks that you could throw out there. We've talked so much about, you know, the problem with the Mets bullpen is that they have a bunch of right-handed relievers who kind of all do the same thing. And it's not a good thing that they all do. None of them threw really hard. None of them had great stuff, but now with the pieces that they're adding, you have a lot of different arm slots, good stuff high velocity, all the things that the good bullpens around the league have, the Mets are finally starting to get some of those pieces added on. This way, it's not just Edwin Diaz giving you gas. It's like, okay, now you have a few more guys. It's not just Brooks Raley from the left side. Now you got two guys. So I just like that there is a lot more depth and versatility because the main thing I want to see is I don't want to see them rely on Diaz as much as they had to the last year he was healthy and having to do those five-out saves, six-out saves, because they didn't trust anyone else. I would like to see the pressure be taken off of him a little bit so that, okay, now instead of me going to Diaz for five outs, now I could use Diaz today and use Diaz tomorrow. So that that's the thing that I want to see is that, okay, now we're, we're kind of – not focus just on one game, but then focus on multiple games because we have multiple options that just the same guy, same two guys over and over. They finally added some depth to this bullpen, which I think really was the main key that they were missing. Yeah, I'm really happy with this signing, not only just regarding of the age or regarding of this or that. The Mets finally have somebody who is actually going to build you a bullpen and is not just going to sign a bunch of guys just to see if shit sticks to the wall. That's the main reason why I'm a really big fan of how Stearns kind of develops this type of system in pitching where... Every single level, he has a lot of different options. He has the prospects that could possibly break out. We'll see what happens with there. He has a few minor league options that come in who could be reversible, optionable relievers. He has a few bounce back candidates. He has a few uh, guys coming off of injury. He has a few. He has just a few different pieces of seasoning, and that's the reason why he can form such a great bullpen together. And that's the thing about this is that this pen is so deep now where you have Edwin Diaz, you have Brooks Raley, you have Jorge Lopez, you have uh, Jake Diekman, 
even Adam Adovino, that's five guys with substantial amount of high leverage experience. And that's something that they really have needed and really have lacked for a long time. Yes, Edwin Diaz is great. There's always just like that one reliever that they had to overwork by his side. Aaron Loop was the deal in that year. Adam Adovino was the deal the next year. Justin Wilson was before Aaron Loop. They, they, did, they gave him the same treatment. Justin Wilson was nearly killed by the Mets. Seth Lugo, they really ran him into the ground. Well. Seth Lugo, they rode him like crazy. So this was a real big problem. The fact that all of these high leverage pieces, there's four high leverage pieces outside of Diaz, because Diaz, we all know, is designated for typically the ninth. These four pieces, they're all high leverage pieces. All of them could get you a strikeout at will. All of them have shown that ability to do that. Will it all be able to piece together? Hopefully. I like the upside of this bullpen. On a good day, if all goes well, you're not relying on two arms out of an eight-man bullpen or at a seven-man bullpen if they do a six-man rotation. And that's what I really like. Right now, as projected, there's still two that I would love to get rid of. One being Drew Smith, as we all know, mutually, we all want to get rid of him. And then Phil Bickford, I think, is there, like, for some goddamn reason. Or, or maybe uh, Michael Tonkin. I, I feel like it's between Bickford and Tonkin. Bickford or Tonkin, something like that. I look at this bullpen, and I'm feeling good about it in terms of upside. And I think that that's really what you have to look towards with bullpens is not based off of the results or based off of what they did, but you have to look at upside and stuff. That's the main two things that you need to look at for building a bullpen as compared to last year that was just a bunch of random guys because Edwin Diaz got hurt. You can move around the back end of the bullpen and you don't just have to stick one piece in there. If somebody gets hurt, somebody can be slotted into there and that's that. And maybe they don't have to rely on it as much because I just don't think, you're, I think you're going to get a lot more distance than you did last year from the starting rotation. I don't think you can get less distance than you got last year. So I think that the fact that the Mets just have so many options now and they have a decent amount of depth options where one guy gets hurt, somebody from the minors who we've never heard of gets called up. You can assess this workload to five different arms or six different arms, maybe possibly even seven if somebody impresses in spring training. And that's what I like about this. Jake Diekman, just like uh, Andrew said, you get your second lefty. I, I personally don't care about second lefties, but if you like your, your second left, lefty, you have a lefty who's a soft tosser who can get you strikeouts in high leverage situations. And you have a lefty who throws hard and can get you strikeouts in high leverage situations. You kind of get like that best of both wor worlds, those different types of looks that you can get. There's still maybe one or two arms that I would like to add, but if you are complaining about just two positions in your bullpen, when there's a possibility that you have a six-man rotation, so you're just having one guy that you're complaining about the bullpen, you're in good shape. And, and we mentioned the six-man rotation. Uh, I, I'm with you. I, I feel like there's a good chance they could do that. And we're talking about the one guy we don't like is Drew Smith. I think the main problem with Drew has been he's been brought into high leverage and not succeeded. But with all these pieces that they've added that we're talking about, there's if Drew Smith does get used, he should not be used in high leverage nearly as much. There should be no need because it's like, why am I going to go Drew Smith to high leverage when I could go to Lopez, I could go to Adovino, I could go to Deacon, I could go to Rayleigh. Like, I have, I have so many guys ahead of him that if I'm going to Drew, I should be going to Drew and it's a blowout. 
You know what I mean? Like, it shouldn't be this kind of scenario where it's like, oh, seventh inning, it's a tie game. Let me go Drew Smith. He's going to give up a solo home run and we lose. Like, th- that shouldn't be happening nearly as much. If I had the call, Drew Smith would only be pitching as frequently as a position player pitches. But, yeah. again, it's like we just don't have to see him. I feel like there's a big possibility where you don't have to see him. If all bends well, of course. Because, again, you have to catch lightning in a bottle with bullpen arms. You can't just look at... This guy had a good ERA last year. He's going to do it again for me. And they haven't done that at all. And you look, they you have look, not. Look at, they, like, you look at they Lopez. Really like, they didn't take Lopez the year after he had the good ERA. They took him the year after he had the bad ERA. And they did I'm that glad. because you weren't going to – you to get Lopez the contract they got, they weren't going to get that coming off the good year. They were going to get it coming off the bad year. You know, while he still is young, he still throws hard. So it's like, again – if you believe in your foundation, you believe in Hefner and everybody else that you could actually get him back on track, then, you know, that's why they made that kind of move. And compared to, like you said, like with relievers, you can't, it, that's like the one spot where it's like, you know what, this guy had the good stats this year. He's going to do it again next year. Relievers, that one spot in baseball where it's just so inconsistent. You can't just take that philosophy every time. We, we've seen it happen time and time again. Yeah. I mean, we've seen them just go off of track record for so long and, you know, the Adam Adovino and the, the uh, David Robertson and, you know, even in the starting rotation, Verlander, Scherzer, Carrasco, Quintana. I mean, I'm not saying all of these are bad moves, but I'm saying that that's been like a consistent approach for them. And it's kind of like backfired a little bit because paying them at their highest value and they're not going to give you their highest value. You know, that's how I kind of look at it with the entire bullpen. And also, the flexibility just if it is not going well. And that's what I like about it is if the bullpen doesn't look good, if the pitching staff doesn't look good, the team isn't winning or whatever, just overall, and your sellers at the deadline, you have all these one-year contracts. They're all three, four, two million dollars. So easy to offload them to get assets back. And that's what I also like about this because you just, they have basically opened themselves up to having so many options to pivot to whether something's going well or something is going bad. And that's what I've liked about how they have approached this pitching staff. Now, as for the lineup, that's a different story. But in the first year of Stearns, I think the main focus needs to be pitching because of how bad it was last year and how bad of a pattern there has been for years and years and years of just not using these guys to their full potential, killing these arms and overworking them. I mean, there's been tons of situations where you look at a Mets reliever that was here for a while. You can go back to a story where, oh, well, they screwed up here. They screwed up here. Seth Lugo pitched his arm off. Robert Gazelman, they tried to turn him into a strikeout pitcher. Justin Wilson, they used him for three innings way too many times. So tons of different things that they've screwed up on with a lot of pitching arms. And Hopefully they can just gain that type of consistency. I'm not looking to give four-year deals to guys like Wendy Peralta. I think Wendy Peralta is a good pitcher, but I don't think he's four-year deal good. No matter what AV he gets, I'm not giving four years to a reliever. Like, that's ridiculous. You know, something like that is just too risky. And what and what I like, too, is that you know when you sign the younger pieces, you're a deepman, obviously, is an older player, but a lot of the other guys they've gotten, you're paying for future success, whereas in the case, like you mentioned, with the Verlander, the Scherzer, things like that, you're paying for past success. You know, I, I like more of the approach of, okay, we're not – because you were, you've were you been an all-star all these times before, doesn't mean you're going to do it again, where it's like some of these other guys, like, like a Lopez, like you haven't lived up to your full potential yet. Like maybe we can get some more out of you. Like there's still more in the tank, whereas these other guys that are running on – they're getting pretty close to running on empty. 
Now, as for the second addition to the bullpen this week, it's definitely the most intriguing move of this offseason. The Mets have signed right-handed pitcher Shintaro Fujinami to a one-year $3.35 million contract with over $850,000 in incentives. Fujinami came over from Japan last offseason, signing with Oakland on a one-year deal, and really struggled as a starter, posting an abysmal 1426 earn run average in 17.2 innings pitched in the A's rotation. But Fujinami improved once he was moved to the bullpen, and especially after being traded to Baltimore, posting a 4.85 earned run average, 4.13 fielding independent pitching, and striking out 25.4% of batters in 29.2 innings pitched. As he enters the typical reliever prime at age 30, Fujinami throws the kitchen sink, a ladder running fastball sinker combo that sits at 96 to 97 and tops 102 to 103, a high profile splitter in the low 90s, a strong sweeping action slider, a hard side spinning change up and a developing curveball with big strikeout stuff that produces high whiff and chase rates Fujinami's inconsistency regarding pitch shape and empty velocity continues to be a work in progress along with Diekman the Mets will be taking a flyer on the struggling flamethrower joining a Mets bullpen headlined by Edwin Diaz Brooks Raley Jorge Lopez and Adam Adovino I thought you know there was a little bit of risk because even though he definitely pitched better at Baltimore it still wasn't like an overall phenomenal season but what I like about it is, kind of what I said to Drew Smith, since you've added so many other guys, like since you added also Adovino, since we talked about it, like you added Adovino, you added Deakman, Fujinami, he does not necessarily have to be used in high leverage. Like, I, I like him right now to start off in the role of the middle relief pitcher. We're like, okay, you have Shalmanai gives you four innings. Now you can bring in Fujinami for like the fifth inning, you know, and, and then you kind of go to your other big pieces. But I think the fact that, you know what, here's a guy who could throw over 100 miles an hour, that's a great place to start. Like, okay, at least we have something to go off of. Whereas, again, like the other arms the Mets had been using the past few years, there wasn't much there. Like, okay, at least you have that, which is something the Mets have not had. And it's like now you try to build upon it. And, and the one thing I really like about him is that he does pretty good with, you know, keeping the ball in the ballpark, which to me is my biggest pet peeve with relievers. I cannot, and that's why I hate Drew Smith. I cannot stand relievers just giving up home runs because it's like, you know what? In a tie I can't game, stand pitchers who game, give up home runs, so I'm with you. Yeah, like it's one pitch that the game is turned. If you have a guy, they know he walks a batter. We don't like walks, but okay, you can still get out of it. You give up a home run, that's it. Like, you know, the you just totally blew the game. So at least I think he keeps the ball in the ballpark. I wonder if, you know, since he has the experience as a starting pitcher, if they would consider like, sometimes two innings or something like that. But, but you know, unless you want to, you know, again, depends on the situation and the game and things like that. But I, I don't think you want, if he was so bad as a starter, you don't want to try to go back to it. Just, just stick with what was working as a reliever and just build off of that. But I think that now, since they have so many other guys, it's much more okay to sign a player like this and try to take a chance with the potential, with the age, you know, being under 30, like, you, you are now in a position to do this, whereas, you know, in years past and things like that, it wouldn't have been a great fit. But I, I think with how many other guys they've added, it's okay to take a, a chance with a guy like this because, like you said, you might find lightning in a bottle and all of a sudden you have another really good reliever that you could then use as another guy laying games. It's like you have so many different options that there should be no excuse. Well, it's like, oh, well, you know, we, lo we lost the game because Diaz was overused. 
and Adovino was overused, and we didn't really have anyone else we could use late in the game that we trust. It's like that shouldn't be the case anymore because you now have several guys that, like you said, have high velocity, have good stuff. Like, you know, you have things to build upon that these guys have the tools to be successful. But like we said with Deacon, it's all a matter of, you know, we hope everything breaks right and it works out. But these are guys, at least there's something there that you can see the vision. Like, okay, I can understand why they got this player because he has these good things about him. So it's a move that I think that, you know, at this point in the offseason, I think it was a really solid move. He's a good example of he needs good coaching in front of him mm-hmm. to have some sort of success. And we know that Baltimore has done well developing pitching recently. Um, the A's don't even really give a shit about anything. Uh, they literally just care if you have a heartbeat, you can play on the team. Um, so I think that there's obviously tools there. It's not really just like the high velocity. I mean, we also see like a low 90s uh, splitter, which is like very, very rare. I mean, you have Yohan Duran who throws one and then you have Fujinami and you have a, a um, is that Pacheco guy throw a 90 splitter? I don't know. Does he? Yeah, I don't think Pacheco hits split. He's just throwing gas, and that's pretty much it. Oh, Ben Joyce. Ben Joyce. Ben, yeah, that, that's, yeah. Why did we talk about this you know, on the Deakman stream? We said, like, all right, we thought we only had, like, a million bucks to go spend on a relief, and we kind of just washed off Fujinami. Like, eh, you know, probably not. We saw that report that they were interested in Barnes and Reyes. We're like, oh, well, that, that'll be that last kind of piece they add. And then this this just comes out of nowhere, and at $3.5 million, oh, my God, Stern's got a little more money than $10 million. Good job, Mr. Andy Martino. Um, I think like I'll I'll take some points from both of you. I think this is in especially in this type of season where it doesn't matter to an extent. These are the type of guys you can get into what what Carson said. If he has a good year, he's already been flipping the deadline once in his career. Get his ass flipped again at this deadline if he does have a good year. So, and the fact it's under five million bucks. Any deal under five million bucks, unless your name's Joey Wendell, you really can't be that mad. Especially for relievers, because again, it's hot, hit hot or cold. You know, he could come and throw in a hundred, and hell, we could be looking. There's a world where he's a setup man to, to Diaz, and we got the nasties back in with both guys throwing a hundred. Nobody's touching anything. Or there's a world where he's just a little bit better than Drew Smith, and he's fine. Like again, and like we continue to say, lowering Drew Smith in the pecking order, I think he definitely has more upside, and he's a better pitcher than Drew Smith. Again, he doesn't give up home runs, which is great. So, again, I saw it, and I was surprised that, again, they, they were going – that it got them. I thought they were going to go more minor league-type deals to fill out the rest of the pen like they did throughout the offseason. So, you know, again, a major league deal, and unlike his first deal, he could be sent to the minor leagues, which is completely good and have some control over him a little bit. Like, if he does struggle, you can send him down and let him work throughout, you know, the problems and not hurt your major league team. So, there was really no – Bad again. It's a one-year deal, which you can already say isn't bad. But there is there's options and ways that this is not horrific. Even though again, he could be the 70 RA guy and just get hammered like he did. Or if he's the guy on the Baltimore side where hell, he's just giving you like a four ERA and giving you some quality garbage time innings. I think that'd be fine. But there is that still upside that he can be an elite high leverage arm. We just need him to have the you know, if Jeremy Hefner is Jesus Christ himself, and that's what David Stearns believe he is, just turn him into a quality middle reliever. I think this is would be that the upside we want with a chance to be, hey, again, 200-mile-an-hour back-end bullpen pieces with him and Diaz. Again, I, there's there's no bad side to this, especially with him being able to be sent down to the minor leagues. It's, it's a one-year deal with plenty of upside. You know, do I expect this generational talent? No. 
but can he just be a quality middle relief guy? That's all I look for, especially when you have Diaz, you have Rayleigh, and Lopez, you think he's going to be your 7, 8, 9. At times, can he be your closer? You know, again, that B squad thing, he has that upside to be that, but again, wait and see, and if Jeremy Hefner is as good as David Stern thinks he is, and kept him along again, he survived more than Dr. Robotnik and Sonic, then you know what? Fine, I'll give him the chance to go out and go crazy. He was on my top five list of relievers that I wanted the Mets to pick up, and the main reason why is because I think that the Mets, not only do they lack velocity, but they also lack relievers who were starters, but they can reach fuller capacity as relievers with the kitchen sink that they have. And that's something that we really get to see with Fujinami. It's not mainly just because of, you know, how his pitches are dominant or which one isn't dominant. I think that, again, it's fixable tools that has a millions amount of upside that can also be bailed out with velocity. Velocity covers a lot of sins. Just like I say all the time, power covers a lot of sins. It always will. The thing is, is that he has pieces and he has upside. He has tools that he can fall back on. Again, you could call him a thrower if you want to. But again, like I said, with the kitchen sink, he has gotten some decent results with the secondary stuff. Some decent results from his sinker, which I can't tell if it's a it's a four seam or like a two seam. I, I can't even tell what it is. His splitter was really good last year, which is, again, like I said, in the low 90s. His slider was a lot better. The curveball, I'm pretty sure he only threw like once or twice, but he was able to get competitive pitches with that. So they're going to have to try and find a median with him. I don't see any a possibility where he can be worse. Like, he was really, really bad last year, but we know that there is talent there. And if he can put it together, he could definitely put it together. And another thing about Fujinami, again, like Frank just said about him maybe getting two innings or three innings, I also would not mind this guy being an opener. Rotate somebody else out of the six-man rotation and you need to get a few innings from him. I would not mind that either. Yeah, and I, I think it's something that's a lot more uh, viable in the six-man rotation is that, okay, well, Again, so Sean Manaya is the example I use because last year he did like starting and relieving with the Giants. It's like, okay, Fujinami comes in, he gives you one to two innings. It's like, okay, then you go Manaya and he gives you four. Now all of a sudden you're like, okay, now we go like Rayleigh, Otto, Diaz, or, you know, whatever combination is, is available that day. You go Deekman, Lopez, Diaz. Like, again, that's what we're saying. Like, now, it, again, it just gives you so many more options that you did not previously have. It's like you have a team that struggles against velocity. Okay, there you go. Like Fujinami, like it's all about finding like the right opportunities and scenarios to then use these guys' strengths. It was it was tough for him as a starter, and I think that you know with the kitchen sink that he does have, you can use him in some different ways that you could. Um, but I just don't want to obviously burn him out. Which you know, again, like I said, the A's do not care. Um, but the Orioles kind of were able to tame it a little bit he has good stuff and stuff can go a long way when you're coming out of the bullpen the location can be a little finicky at some points uh some pitch sequence can be a problem but he is able to miss the barrel of the bat with the high profile velocity and again like i said velocity power all of this can cover a lot of sins not to mention he is not going to be put into this massive high leverage role that edwin diaz is going to be tossed into after a after an injury, he's not going to be in a type of role that Adam Adovino was in. 
he's probably going to start off as maybe a long relief option or maybe one of the middle relief options gives you just so many different pieces of flexibility. And not to mention, like I said, using him as an opener or utilizing him in that way, he's also not the only option to do that. You have Joey Lucchese, Jose Budo, if you want to give it like a, a three-inning start to Tyler McGill, because that seems all, all he can really handle in his major league career. They have so many flexible options in the pitching department that, again, it does need to break well. You still need to wait and see. But... If this fails, if somebody fails or one piece fails, you can always just plug somebody else in. You have multiple options that we have seen give a decent amount of sample that have shown upside, that have showed that they have skills to have success out of the bullpen, in the rotation. And I'm okay with if you give him a specific role or you, you know, on a, on one day, rain delay or whatever and somebody's somebody's got a tweak somebody got a this someone feels like shit you put in <laughs> you know someone you know diarrhea is all over the all over the dugout floor you know who cares you can slot him in two innings i've seen the mets start drew smith before i've seen the mets start miguel castro before i'm pretty sure aaron loop was an opener at one point you can put some pieces in there. So as the last few weeks of the offseason are winding down, some rumors about the Mets' current financial plan going forward are being discussed. Andy Martino reported that the Mets are holding about $10 million to $15 million in reserve in case they're in the playoff race at the trade deadline. Martino stated that Stearns told SNY last month that the Mets believe they will contend for a playoff spot this year. They are bullish on their defense, optimistic about the upside of their offense and pitching staff, and realistic about how far behind the Braves and Phillies they remain. The Mets' 2024 payroll with luxury tax currently stands around $360 million, with over $60 million spent this offseason and paying almost $50 million in retained salaries for Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, and James McCann. I, I understand it, you know, trying to be realistic about it. And, and like we said, you know, not doing anything too crazy, not overspending, not giving out, you know, just random five-year deals because they need help. Uh, my one thing is that, again, I, I've, I'm not going to change my stance on this. I still want to see a DH. That's just me. I, I think that, you know what, I would, I would feel much better if, even if it was J.D. Martinez. Like, obviously, we want Soler, but I would be totally, totally happy if it was even J.D. Martinez. They just got him, and I feel like it's not a complete team. Is it a great team? Probably not. But at least it's a team that should be semi-competitive. I think that right now there's just so many question marks in the lineup because the pitching, I, I give certain credit. They've done a lot. Is it going to work out? We'll see. But at least they've added a lot of pieces. We talked about the bullpen. Obviously, they've done the same. They've added a lot of guys in rotation too. So I think that if you at least had one more competent, you know, sustainable bat, you know, a proven guy in the lineup, you'd feel a little better about all the other things that's going on with the team. So I, I don't think the team is quite there yet to where they could just be like, oh, because and, and that's the thing that, that really bothers me is that it really, again, makes you question. It's like, OK, well, what is their actual philosophy? It's like, are we going for it? Are we not going for it? Are we kind of going for it? Because that's the thing is, is that like, you know, this whole like wait and see approach. I mean, the way I look at it is that you've already committed so much money. And, you know, Steve Conan said the whole three to five years thing when he first got here how much he still is sticking by that. I don't really know. Cause he haven't, he hasn't said it since the, the opening press conference, 
that's the thing that I, I wonder. It's just that, okay, well, you know, what, what is the, the top priority here? Because it's, if we were a team that's like, okay, we're trying to get under the tax and this way we kind of reset and everything like that, I get a little more, but they still have so much payroll committed that I'm like, why might as well just get like that this one little more piece that I would feel a little more comfortable with than this whole wait and see approach. Because again, it's like if they're of the mindset that, okay, you know, we have some prospects we like, but the farm system isn't too, too deep and we don't want to get rid of those guys. If you want to add during the season, you're going to have to give up prospects. So, I mean, the way I look at it is that I would rather just spend the money and keep the prospects, keep building instead of, okay, now trade Dallas here. I need a DH. Again, that's the thing that would frustrate me the most is that they don't get the DH now and then they have to trade for one at the deadline because it's not working out. Because, again, it's like we've, I, I talk every week, but it's like we for years we've been saying get DH, get DH, and they don't do it. I, that's the thing that would just drive me crazy is that, you, again, it's like, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like you have the opportunity right now to address a glaring weakness that's clearly there compared to all oh, this doing at the deadline. That's my only critique. Other than that, I understand the approach, but that's just my one thing is I, I still think like there's such one thing that's still so glaring that I would love for that to be addressed. And again, JD Martinez, I'm okay, but just give me somebody. Like, even if it's Adam Duvall at this point, like, just give me somebody that, that is not, you know, again, I don't trust Brett Beatty. Mark Vientos will see. I don't trust TJ Stewart. I already have Harrison Bader in my lineup every day. Like, just give me one more bat, please. Bullish about defense in 2024. That's what, this is what the, okay. Let's say they do are going to be competitive and let's say they're at like three games over 500 at the trade deadline and they're trying to compete for a playoff out of those last wildcard spots. What are they going to want to add to the deadline? A damn DH. What is Jorge Soler right now probably want right now? $15 million. And like Frank said, and what we've all seen, the Mets giving up prospects? Are you kidding me? Have you not watched what this team has done the last four years? You would have thought every single one of our prospects are J-Rods, Adleys, and Uli- and uh, Bobby Wood Jr., you would think. But this team, who has been so hesitant to trade for trade prospects, is going to do it then at a – they didn't do it when they were a first-place team. Don't care about how it happened. But at the time, we're a first-place team and was one of the best teams in baseball. It was didn't want to go all in there that I'm going to trust them with this team who's going to be – mediocre at best, maybe 85 wins, maybe, that, oh, we're going to go trade to the debt. When you can, one, play both sides of this. You sign, again, like I said, I think in front of the uh, Deakman thing, you sign Soler or JD, whoever, they have a good year and you're still marginally, you can flip him for more assets for next year and you don't have to trade the prospects. You use what you're best, but you have over every other team. You have more cash. Then everybody. So turn that cash like you did last year. You have the assets now. You can, if you are competitive, $15 million at the deadline. What is that really going to get you? Probably a reliever and then maybe a batted DA. The answers are on the free agent market. Why do I have to play a season out and then give up? I don't, again, do we love every single prospect? No. But why am I going to give up prospects when I can use my cash, improve my team, and then let's, again, things go wrong? I could take that investment that I give. Shrimp, uh, trade it out of here, and then can recoup more prospects for a bigger trade when I'm supposed to be competitive. That's what I can't understand with this. Of oh, we have to save fifteen million dollars to play on a team that is a 
mediocre team at best. Everything goes right. Alvarez hits 40 homers. Brett Beatty decides to not suck Dick. Ventos hits 40 homers. Like, that's the ceiling, and that's to get to maybe 88 wins. So I'm going to believe that this team, and again, what past history of this team giving up prospects for a mediocre team, when, again, a couple years ago at the time, one of the best teams, they didn't go all in. You have the you have the solution already on the market. Use what you have over everybody. Just spend the cash and worry again. Worry about that stuff later. And like you said, all the money's coming off after this year. All that dead fat, abusive James McCann, Verlin, all that shit's gone after this year. So I'm again, it's not my money. Again, it's just Cohen's. Again, I might have to work a weekend or two, but I would rather ha- go out and spend the money now to improve than have to burn assets. We started to fill back up just to give it up for a mediocre season. I understand, like, you know, if there's a few pieces of, you know, this team possibly being competitive to the deadline, you know, we already know that that one piece would be a designated hitter, like an actual legitimate designated hitter. We know that. But for what I think they're doing this for, and I feel like they are doing this because of the retained salaries of $50 million. If that $50 million was not in the books, for guys to not play for the team. They probably would be in much different shape to actually go forward and obviously spend this offseason, not have that money set away for the trade deadline. The main reason I say that is because if you take $50 million off of the current payroll without the luxury tax, you're at looking at like two seventy. dollars or whatever, like that around there. So that is still over that fourth luxury tax threshold. Not to mention, you also have the luxury tax added on to that. Now, next year, you have about a pre-arbitration st- settlements. You have about $160 million coming off the books. You are going to be way below all of those thresholds. Then you can continue to maximize if you want to address the 2025 free agent market, which is a lot more loaded than this one. If you want to do that, that's fine. I think that if they didn't have these retained salaries, just fixing up so much dead cap, not to mention with them being over the tax, it would be a big percentage of that as well, costing them as well. So let's say if it is 12%, that 50 million, and then what they're really paying is like 72 million or something like that. If that wasn't there, I feel like you would not hear the Mets trying to save this away or put this away. And the thing is, is that the Mets at this current moment, they have put them in this position where put themselves in this position where they can buy and they could sell at the deadline, depending on where which road they take, obviously, during this season and where they are at at the trade deadline. The Mets have a bunch of one year deals they can auction off if they're not winning. They have a bunch of prospects that they can trade away at the deadline for pieces if they are competitive. Now, obviously the Mets have been hesitant to trade away those prospects. The main reason I think is that because they want to see them play first. They want to feature them first. They want to showcase them first to other teams if they want to be competitive at the deadline. They need to see what they have first and then they can address what they want because not to mention the retained salaries on the books right now. And also, I feel like if they were contributing this $50 million to the actual books of active contracts right now, you'd be in a lot different scenario. Maybe they probably would have Soler right now. Maybe they have Teoscar Hernandez. Maybe they have somebody they can add to their outfield and also can be a, a DH. 
But right now they don't. What they have is internal options that they have not seen what they have done consistently at the major league level, and they want to see that. What bothers me is that, again, like different management, so to say, but they had their opportunity to see what Mark Vientos is. Oh, I, they I definitely really did, the guy, yeah. Yeah, like that's really the guy that we're talking about here because the third base market, I was not a fan of Justin Turner. I, I didn't think it was worth it. I thought that was a short-term solution. You're I don't think he's a third Matt baseman Ch- right now. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. And you're not getting Matt Chapman. So Brett Bainey is like a, a whole separate issue. I think right now the conversation is about Mark Vientos. And it's like, okay, you're going to see what you have at Mark Vientos compared to signing, like those names you mentioned, Tay Oscar, Soler, JD, whoever. It's because of Mark. You had the golden opportunity when P. Alonso went down to play Vientos every single day. And still the playing time was better but it was not 100% what it could have been. And I think that if they actually did that this past season when they were so out of it and you gave Daniel Vogelback all those freaking plate appearances, like you had your chance right there. This way you're not, you know, if you want to call it like not necessarily punting on this offseason, but not going all out this offseason because of Vientos when you could have avoided actually playing him this past year. That's what drives me nuts is that like you had an opportunity to avoid this, but now you have to wait another year because of the mistakes you made last year when you were so out of it. Like, I mean, it's like we said, when they were out of it, that's when you go all into the young kids every single day and they didn't do it. And it it just makes no sense why they approach it like that. And it does not make sense. And listen, he should have been getting tons of playing time, but the only bright side to this with, the whole situation with Mark Vientos is that the man responsible for not giving him that playing time is gone. Now yeah. and you all now you have a new executive who has made it his mission, pretty much in his mission statement, saying, We are going to give a leash to the young players. He has already established that. That's what he has said. So that is the good thing about it. Does it suck because the time frame is a little bit off compared to what they should have done? Yeah, but it's it's a sunk situation now. I mean, you can't really undo what Billy Epler did. It was influenced by Buck Showalter or whatever. At this point, you have an upswing for Mark Vientos. He's going to get his chance. Obviously, it's frustrating knowing that a DH can make this lineup better. Again, I just, like I've said, you know, don't hire Billy Epler if you wanted to be in this situation. And, I, I, and I've, I've said this many, many times. If you don't want to see Mark Vientos getting the playing time that he should have got last year, but instead was just benched after he got two hits a game, you'd probably be in a different situation. Not to mention the money that you have on the books that you're paying guys to literally fuck off, to not even be here. The financial standpoint, you get a little frustrated considering Steve Cohen just wipes his ass with $20 bills. Right now, the situation that they're in, you're at about $360 million payroll with luxury tax. Without it, it's about, I don't know, 320 or something like that. Way over the luxury tax. You already have your draft stock all the way down. If they had a $320 million payroll, if they had a $360 million payroll with the luxury tax and they didn't have those retained salaries, this probably would be a lot different of a situation let's say hypothetically Solaire and jd martinez don't go to world series which i don't think they will i think they're going to be on mediocre teams on that who are those guys going to be at the trade deadline that you know what on a one-year deal who we're going to have the same conversations about that's what's going to drive me insane yes you want to play the admiral bullshit nerd yeah we get it we don't have a salary cap we're not the nfl we can say fuck the salary cap but you know what fine that's my one f-bomb but yeah 
even if we're playing this of, oh, we want to be competitive, whatever, we'll see at the deadline, the Blue Jays could, there's a world where the Blue Jays completely blow it up. So guess who will be back on the trade market? J.D., Justin Turner. And they're still linked to Solaire. So maybe they signed Solaire as well. And then we, we're talking about the same guys, but instead of giving up cash, now we're talking about maybe a Dom Hamill, maybe uh, Christian Scott, which I doubt. But now we're starting to talk. Again, it's this consistency of we want to play the kids. Then And, yes, they've told you we want to play the kids. I understand all that. And this, we trust our defense and pitching, which, again, to be determined. But if – and Alonzo, again, is kind of needs to be in this conversation because – it's not guaranteed. And again, I've said it. This isn't the greatest look to Pete. Yes, we all make the joke Pete is dumber than a box of rocks. But if I'm Pete Alonzo, I've seen how this team has treated me on the field. I'm not talking off the field, whatever. It, I have needed protection. And for every single year of my career, you have not protected me once. And you're telling me I can hit the open market after this season. And let's say the money is equal. Why are you not showing him at that last year of team control? You know what? We want to apologize to you. We have not done right by you. Here's that guy who, and you can have that big Aaron Judge type, uh, go into free agent here because you would have Solaire, JD, lesser extent Justin Turner, but you would have finally had some protection. Say, hey, maybe his numbers get you know blow up even better than what we've seen. He could get paid even more, which he's kind of even thinking like, hey, can you protect me? I would like to put up bigger numbers. I'm trying to get paid after this season. I'm tired of having a gerbil behind me. Even though he's my best friend, he sucks at baseball. I'd like to get paid more in this offseason. Can you protect me one time? But no. So that's my thing. Is like you've opened the vault. You've already opened Yes, Billy Epler's dumbass. We understand all that. You got Pete here one more year. I This trusting kids, you do that shit. If Pete walks this year, then I think if this is next year, and let's say Pete went to Chicago, wherever the hell he goes, I think I would have been a lot more, all right, play the kids, whatever. If this is, again, Pete Dummer in a box, we're going to make the jokes. If he's looking at this, and maybe I'm not saying this will cost you Pete Alonzo because you could easily throw a $300 million offer if you wanted to and offer the most money. But if Pete's actually watching this, like, this is how the team treats, has treated me throughout the years, and then my last year they're kind of punting, rebuilding, and again, we haven't said that word, but like a rebuilding state, do I really want to sign long-term here? It is, again, something that needs to be in the back, and it would be a small part in the back of our minds, but something that needs to kind of be like, all right, this rebuild thing or letting the kids play, if, you know, it's not like we got in our face of our franchise a free agent this year, and I don't know how he would like, again, not being in the playoff conversation, guaranteed. And just, again, it's just something to keep in mind there. I mean, I, listen, I do get it. It's just what I'm saying is that $50 million in retained salaries is what's blocking you from continuing to do that because not to mention – the $50 million, that's pretty much putting you over the tax completely, not to mention there's a tax along with it that is continuing to block you even more. So if they are able, if there's only the best way to do it is in 2025 free agency, which is where like all these contracts kind of line up that they have into free agency, coming off the books, like all of these certain situations, that's going to be their best option. If they want to extend Pete in the offseason, they want to retain him, that is going to be their best opportunity 
to protect him. Because like I said, $160 million coming off the books, pre-arbitration numbers, but that type of stuff, that's giving you way down below the luxury tax, below the first threshold or whatever. And then you can address that in free agency. And I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to say that it's not a rebuild year. They're trying to say it's not a punt season because they do have you know, major league talent on here and they have a core of players. But I think that what they're trying to put around Pete Alonzo and Lindor and, and Nimmo and, you know, what they're trying to put around them is a mixture of young players, a mixture of rental pieces that are on a one-year deal. What they're trying to do is they're trying to establish that they want to be competitive, but they can't go all in because of what happened last year they're just trying to fix a problem without throwing money at but also addressing pieces on the roster to try and make them competitive i think that this 10 to 15 million dollars in reserve that's what a typical dh is making if they are competitive at the trade deadline probably going to trade for a dh i, I can definitely say that i'm confident that they will trade for a dh with the prospect capital that they do have like we've said some of these prospects we have they're not going to be on the team. Some of them won't, won't be on the team. Some of them won't have a future here. I'm okay with them going internal because they should have done it like two years ago, seeing what you had in Mark Viento, seeing what you had in these pieces from the minor league system. I, I pretty much accepted that to the trade deadline, that's going to tell what they are going to do. And they have the option to do that from both sides. They have the one-year deals they can auction off at the trade deadline if things go awry. And if things are going well, they have the prospect capital to trade for a typical DH. Now, if they don't trade for a DH, if they are in the this in the system and Mark Vientos is struggling or something like that, then there's going to be a problem. But only time is going to tell because the, the trade deadline is August 1st and we are in February right now. I got I got something for you. So if we're under the impression that there's this hard stop, like, you know, Martino, the number, but the main thing is they won't they don't want to get over that fourth. And final, they already are. Commercial. They already are. They're, They're way off. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So okay. So, but still, they want to say, okay, we're trying to be very smart with the way we're giving out the money this year. Let me ask you a question: Do you think that the contract they gave Harrison Bader this year was an overpay? One year deal. I can't get mad at a one year deal. Well, no, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the AAV that they gave him. If you have a small window to work with. Do you think that was an overpay? Probably. Yeah, of course. I mean, I'm not giving $10 okay. million to a guy like Terrence Bader. Yeah, on a regular Again, because because what I'm because what I'm saying is that to me the lineup again needs help. And I think Bader actually makes the lineup worse to some I think he makes it worse to some extent. That that's my opinion. So, I think the way I see it is I would rather give 15 million to JD Martinez and then give instead of giving 10 million to Harrison Bader and just leave Brandon Nimmo in center field. That, that's me. Yeah. Oh, mean, no, that's, uh, and that's or, a fair point. Solaire. That is I'm a fair point. Add, yeah. You know, Jorge Soler. Like, you, you give 15 to Jorge Soler, even if you stick him in left field, I would have rather done that than give 10 million to Harrison Bader and say, okay, I get no bat. Because I, I think he makes the line worse. I mean, that's the way I, I see it. There's a strong I, I possibility that, that he does. Yeah. Yeah, because I just think that if you have, like, okay, it's either one or the other, I, I just that, – that's the thing that still drives me nuts. I don't understand why they said, okay – this is more important to us. Like, it's more important. Like, uh, again, what uh, is kind of stumping me here is that, like, does David Stearns, th that's the question I have, does David Stearns believe in Mark Viento so much 
that he said okay. I, but but that's what I'm saying though, because you're telling me that Mark Vientos is the reason why they're not signing Jorge Soler. I don't think it is. Harrison I don't Bader, think it is. But they're saying that Harrison Bader is a bigger priority than Jorge Soler. That's what they're telling. You. Well, I mean, he already established that players like Harrison Bader were guys that he was going to go after. Again, I'm going off of what Stearns wants to do with this team. Like, I'm going off of what Stearns has said because, once again, like I've said, my biggest pet peeves with executives, I don't like to be lied to. Oh, no, no doubt. But what I'm saying is that I, I just don't think that the gap with, like, Brandon Nimmo in center field and Soler in left field is as big as the gap of Soler in the lineup versus Harrison Bader. And again, you know, like when I, when I saw Harrison Bader, I'm like, really? Like, this is, this is it. Like, but what I've seen from Stearns is again, like I'm okay with it because I wasn't lied to. I know that he was going to do that. Get a guy that can prevent runs. Do I full on agree with it? Do I think that that's the recipe for a success for this team being a contender? No, but we already had the conversation of if Bader gets hurt again, Drew Gilbert's taking over. So it's like, why in the heck am I signing Harrison Bader when I have Drew Gilbert waiting? I think he just wants the gateway for the the younger players. Like that's what I think that he does. But, yeah. but that much. But that's what I'm saying though. If you have the that money, if you have that number, why are you paying that much to Harrison Bader? Like if it feels like three million, four million. I wouldn't hate it as much. But the fact that you're saying, okay, we have like a certain number to work with, and we're giving like nine million to Bader. That's where I'm just like. It, it just doesn't make sense for like a multitude of reasons to me. Oh, uh, no, sure. I mean, like, again. I just disagree with it. Like, like, I, like, yeah, of course. I get it, yeah. but I disagree with yeah, it. Yeah, no, I get it because I think that, you know, the Mets, they definitely did not take to address the area of center field when you already gave $162 million to a guy like Brandon Nimmo to do that. In his second year of the deal, like, in the second like year of the deal. Year, it's not like if this was year six of Nimmo, year seven of Nimmo, like, I get it. But this is the second year where you paid him to be a center fielder, and you're ready to say, "Okay, we're moving him." And again, different management, like different executives. I I get that, but this is but this is what you're working with, and it's like he's I I don't know I I just think that he's trying to change the philosophy of a team that was already pre built like a little early, if that makes sense. You get what I mean? Like he's trying to make it a defensive team by getting Vader when the team was already like. They weren't an offensive team or a defensive team. Like they just—they're just bad at both. You know what I mean? Like, so that's—that's that's where like it doesn't really match up to me. And again, if I had the rotation of okay, I have Corbin Burns, I have Brandon Woodruff, I got Peralta, I could be a defensive team. I'm good with that. But I don't have that rotation. So why does my lineup have to suck too? That—that's the way I look at. It. Like I can't build Milwaukee if I don't have Milwaukee's rotation. That, that's how I see it. A lot of dominoes have to fall in place, but if they don't, they have a pivot. They do have a pivot, and that's the thing. Like, I, I'm okay with what they're doing. Like, I'm okay with it. I understand what they're doing. Do I think it's the right thing? No. I don't think it's, like, the right thing to put this team in a winning position, but they've already kind of established there it's the wait-and-see year, what they want to, you know, what is going to happen towards the trade deadline, towards the second, towards the second half of the season, down the stretch of the season, that's what they've kind of established. Am I? Do I agree with the the Harrison Bader? No, but I'm not mad at it because one, I can't get mad at a one year deal. But do uh, I understand again, why? I'm, yes, I'm, I'm mad. I'm not mad that's one year deal. I'm mad that he was chosen over some guys who, in my opinion, were better fits and bigger needs. And again, like I've said, with the reality of some relievers as well, 
maybe he was the only one who wanted a one-year deal. Maybe Michael Taylor came off a really good year. He wants a multi-year deal. I understand why they did it. They said they wanted run prevention. They got their run prevention. But And I understand wanting to preserve Nimmo's health and everything because he still will have the scare no matter what. He has a lot of health issues, whether he's been healthy or not the past few years. He has a lot of health issues. He has the, the neck thing. He has the heart murmur, the whole thing with that. And that's what they've invested to for eight years. So I understand wanting to preserve that, but I think that they're understanding the situation that they are in where, again, like I said, that $50 million in retained salaries, if that wasn't there, if that was addressed towards active payroll, if they were at the same situation with their, them being completely way over the luxury tax already, they would have gotten a DH. So now as for some more rumored reports, we did get some interesting info regarding a certain free agent starting pitcher that is still on the market. On SNY's Baseball Night in New York, Andy Martino labeled free agent pitcher Brandon Woodruff as a name worth keeping an eye on in the next month, but followed it up with saying that no deal is close, but it could be a developing story moving forward. Over the past few years, Woodruff has established himself as one of the best frontline arms in baseball, posting a 2.70 earn run average across the last three seasons in Milwaukee. But after extension talks stalled, leading him to be non-tendered by the Brewers, Woodruff is now 30 years old and underwent major shoulder surgery this offseason and is expected to miss a mass majority of 2024. As three current Mets rotation pieces are guaranteed to become free agents after the 2024 season, the Mets' long-term plans for beyond this year regarding the starting rotation remain unclear. With a Milwaukee connection to Mets president of baseball operations, David Stearns, a multi-year deal with the Mets to have him rehab this season and return in 2025 remains very possible. It makes too much sense. Again, Stearns' connection besides, you're not, again, you're not trying to compete next year for this year, you can get back and healthy and you need starting pitching. And in let's say hypothetical world, we say this gen again, 2025 generational pitching class, even though maybe that number one guy might be extended before opening day. I just got a feeling he's about to get a nice bag from a new rich owner. Um, still really a class of ace caliber pitchers on the market. And if you're running into spring training 2025 with you sign an ace, Senga's your two, Woodruff's your three, that's a hell of a damn rotation that can get you back into competing for the playoffs. Again, it is a shoulder surgery. It's not like Tommy John where there's a lot more risk with the shoulder. You know, we've seen a lot of guys with pulled pork shoulders in this city. They have a shoulder injury. They're never the same again. So there is some risk there. But if you're telling me he's by three, and let's say he's seeing this as, like, again, a lower third rotation with the upside of being one of the best pitchers in baseball, it makes too much damn sense to rehab him, let him, you know, get into this pitching lab with Hefner, and then going into the camp at 2025 with two really good pitchers with him and Senga. And then we'll see what else they do in the rotation. If it is bringing back a former ace or whatever ace they decide to choose or trade for, you know, then you can get yourself back to being a competitive team in 2025. And again, when we talk about playoffs, you need at least three elite starters to go game one, two, and three. To be determined, Senga, Woodruff, that can match up with pretty much anybody. So you have that connection personally with him, drafting, developing him. He knows him probably better than anybody, any GM in baseball. So if he see, can talk to him and see that, you know, trust that he can get back to 95% of what he was, give him that one plus one, you know, make him have like no, make no money this year and then give him like, you know, if Lucas Giolito and Lance Lynn and Lucas uh, and Luis Severino can get $15 million, give him that, you know, 17, 18 for next year to have him give him the ability to go back and touch the market after next year. Or, hell, if Stearns trusts him, give him a little more term. Because, again, 
why not have some stability? You do run that risk of if that shoulder is pastrami, you're giving a little term to a guy who injuries who the shoulder can just blow out and just becomes a bum. But again, if this season means nothing, you can use that money and again pencil in a really good rotation with high upside of getting back to being a contender. And it, you're going to get him on 10 cents to the dollar what he would be if he was healthy. Ever since he's been available, I've been a thousand percent on the get Woodruff. I mean, I, I've been all in on that because the way I look at it is that if he's pretty close to what he was, obviously when he's ready to come back, you could get a number two pitcher for number five starter money. And that opportunity does not come around every off season. There's only like, in my opinion, like if all these guys were fully healthy, let's say Woodruff was fully healthy. He's better than everyone on the market right now. I like a healthy Woodruff better than Blake Snell. I like him better than Jordan Montgomery. I think that, so for the guy to be right there and you can get him for number five money to pitch again, if all things go well, could pitch like a number two. I take that risk. I mean, <clears throat> if I'm taking a risk already, like I said, like with Luis Severino, I'd rather take that risk with Brandon Woodruff, where, again, I, I believe the upside is higher as far as you know, if everything goes right. And his age is not too crazy. It's not like the guy's past 35. Like, he's, what, early 30s? I think 30. Like 31 yeah, he'll be 31. Yeah, he's, he's 30. Yeah. He's 30, 31. So, like, it's not a terrible age. Like, it's something that we're – I like Andrew's idea of maybe, like, third-year club option or even how we talk about Deepman, maybe vesting option. Like, okay, you meet these certain numbers – in year two, we give you a third year, higher AV, vesting or whatever. I'd be all for that. So, uh, to me, I, I think this probably, again, one of the most no-doubter, like, I, I, I'd say definitely go for it. Because it's like uh, I've been saying, we said a few years ago, not a few, years ago, uh, a few weeks ago, once they got Benaya, and I think it was the Benaya episode we talked about. But it's like the long-term outlook of the rotation is, okay, Sang is going to be here, but... Sabrio, one year. Hauser, one year. Manaya, one year. Quintana, one year. Who's actually going to be here next year that's already on the rotation? If you get Woodruff, at, it's like, okay, at least you have two guys that you could build around. You know, so I, I don't like the idea of, okay, every offseason, I need to, I have Sanga, and I need to build a whole new rotation every year. Like, at least let me have a few guys who are here for a few years. So, and again, like I said, the connection's obviously there. You know, Woodruff and Stearns, like, he knows what the guy's capable of, you know, the anterior capsule surgery. It's not something you normally hear about. Is it better than Tommy John? Is it worse than Tommy John? I'm not a doctor. I don't know. So that's the, obviously the biggest question mark is, is something like that. Like, you know, how do pitchers normally recover for a surgery like this? Cause you don't normally hear about it. That's obviously the main question mark. But again, it's like, if the Mets are out of their budget, can't get them. So uh, th- that's what I'm saying. Like you got to prioritize, and I think anytime you have the guy who has the potential of a number two that you can get for a number five price, I, I say 10 times out of 10, go for it. We got to keep in mind, Senkas could be gone after next year. So, yes. yes. Not, that, they're not yes. next to the year exactly. after, 2026. So, year three. Yeah, year three. And again, if the vesting option or, again, longer term, you know, ascending deal, whatever you want to do it, you don't have any st- – again, we hope that a guy like Christian Scott, Vassal can fill out the bottom half. Obviously, Sprout and Tidwell, we think, could be at least upper-end guys. Again, if. And I'm not saying load the rotation up with mid-30s guys. But if they're, again, bargain bin shopping. This is the best bin bargain dumpster dive you can go out and get. So, and if it, again, give him an ascending hit. Make him have league men this year. And then shoots up to, let's say, 20. Let's just throw a number of 20 for next year. And then that vesting option can be 27, 30. 
if he hits. And it can be even more. Let's say he comes back, finishes top 10 in Cy Young, which he's done before a couple times. He gets to you know, hit the 180, and, and it just continues to ascend. And then maybe even a fourth-year vesting option. Let's get crazy because, again, there is no – there's so – instability we tried maybe we hope the pitching prospects can develop but we've seen the Mets haven't developed pitching in like 10 years so we hope these guys can be that but if they're all just fours fives and you know long men you don't have that ability you have and in this it's it's even better you have the human connection like this isn't like oh it's some dude from the pirates like this Mitch Keller but Mitch Keller was available like Stern's nose drafted develops the dude so use that to your advantage and hey Maybe take even more of a discount because of Stern's not guaranteed, but you need to use that. And it's been the 2025, 2025. This guy is for 2025, and that would prove that we're getting the shit back together for 2025 if he is in this rotation. It lines up so perfectly to competing in 2025, this whole philosophy that we've seen, of course. And, you know, you can obviously backload it as to where, let's say, he gets $8 million while he's rehabbing. And... You give him $17 million the next year and then like a $20 million vested option if he gives you 160 innings and, you know, a, a sub 3-5 ERA, like something like that. That would work in terms of the long term, in terms of how it is lined up right now. Let's say it doesn't work out or it does work out. Like you also, since he's not playing, he's not going to provide you any service this year. If you are trying to save like that 10 to $15 million we were just talking about, you also could defer that money as well from the first year. It's such a perfect opportunity right now where they're so set up to it, where obviously you don't know what's going to happen long-term. You don't know what is going to be the deal with the rotation past 2025 with Senga off the books, possibly opting out. He most likely will if he continues to pitch at the level he was. You have all these guys on one-year deals. You hope that the prospects do well. Again, they're in that pivotal point where they're just going to see what they get. But you also can see what you get in Brandon Woodruff, who has in the past been a fairly good pitcher. He hasn't been an ace of all aces, but he's been pretty good. He's been a really, really good number two. One of the best number twos, I'd say, in all of baseball. So, again, there's the injury risk. Of course, there is. But you might have to do a player option if you do a third year. Because, like, I think he wants the option if he pitches well. You know, I'll stay. But, you know, maybe you can have some conditions where if he pitches to this certain criteria, it's this amount for this player option. If not, it's this amount for the player option. That could be a, a whole situation, but I think that it lines up so perfectly if you're talking about 2025, where all this money comes off the books and you backload it to here and you're just adding another 10 or 8 million to your payroll. That's fine. Maybe you offload somebody from the roster who is making $2 million and giving up bombs and high leverage. Maybe you do something like that. We don't have anybody for 2025. Besides Sango, we don't have anybody for 2026 at all. Let him rehab. He knows David Stearns. He knows Stearns' techniques in the system with that. So I'm sure he's going to have like a familiar situation. I mean, you obviously want to be comfortable in a more a comfortable setting coming off an injury. It is a major injury, of course. There is going to be risk, but it's a flyer that you can 100% take because it's lined up in this time loan so perfectly. So now that brings us to everybody's favorite game, the lineup card. We have nine topics that are Mets-related. 
going into spring training on the cusp pitchers and catchers reporting. So we got some topics for that. Frank, it's your board, one through nine. Go ahead. All right. Uh, we talked about the number nine spot before, so let's start with nine. Which pitcher has more to prove in 2024? Luis Severino or Tyler McGill? An internal piece versus an external piece. Both of them have had struggles at the major league level recently. Both of them have had injury concerns. It has to be Luis Severino, mostly because of the contract that he got. Um, I think, you know, for Tyler McGill, he's kind of more so like pressure from the Mets standpoint. Like, okay, can he still be with the Mets? Uh, and while when he first got started out, people got pretty excited. But all around, you look at that guy who was drafted in the eighth round. You know, so it's not like he had the first round expectations. Meanwhile, a guy like Luis Severino, who has already like been an all-star before, originally when he was here, Yankees thought they had an ace. For him to, you know, struggle as much as he has to try to get back to that level, because Luis Severino, if he did pitch the way he was before, he's getting ace-level money. With McGill, even if he had a really good year, what is his market? You know what I mean? Because there, I, I just feel like there's still so much uncertainty and inconsistency with him that you, you're like, do I really, like, give him a big contract? Whereas everyone's like, oh, he's back to where he used to be. Let's give him ace kind of money. So I think based off of what they've done in the past, I definitely think there's more pressure on Severino. Yeah, it's, again, the guy who's got $15 million and has been the biggest pitching acquisition. $13 million. Same shit. Uh, but he's been the biggest, oh, really? the biggest name pitcher that this regime has brought in. So this is the poster boy of the offseason, pretty much. So he has all the pressure in the world again, coming in off bad years from the other side of New York, where McGill again is seen as depth. And if you give him, if you give you more, great. But right now, again, he's internal depth in the same cases of Budo and Lucchese, where Severino. Really needs to be the number two in this rotation, and if not, it's going to be an ugly year in the rotation. If Severino can't get back to this tipping or whatever, and he fixes whatever, he's the number two right now, where Tyler McGill is depth with, you know, if he gives him some upside of, you know, maybe five, okay. Where Severino needs to be the number two and needs to show that he's got, he's still got the fastball, he didn't get the ERA under four. They're in like two different directions where one had success at the beginning and then the other one uh, had a little bit, there was a little bit there, but there's been a lot of inconsistency. I'd say that they both have something to prove in their in their own ways, but I, I would say it is Severino just because of in terms of the market. Uh, one year prove it deal. He's going to have to prove it, but I'd say that, that McGill does have quite a little bit to prove. Again, like we said, with one year left on a lot of these guys' contracts in the starting rotation, you have an uncertainty in the future. So maybe is he a piece to that? No. Maybe he's not. He's my he's my ace. Shut up. He's, my he's ace. been your okay, ace. So shut up about my ace. Don't, don't talk about him like that. I will body slam you. I think a lot of people see that new class of pitching prospects higher than McGill. Like, all those guys have the Scots... Tidwell later, but like all of those guys have passed over McGill of, oh, he'll be the future Pete. McGill is just now, he's a wild card. He's depth. He'll be in AAA. If spots start, call up Ty. Like, oh, but David Peterson David is the Peterson's next Sandy. Dead. He doesn't have, any, doesn't have any hips. Like, his hips don't lie because they're all dead. So, like, you know, we know he's dead. So, and even still, that class has passed him over too. So, like, out with the old, we got the new guys. All right. Three, same subject. Which player has more to prove in 2024, Jeff McNeil or Starling Marte? I guess it is it's Starling Marte because you have the traditional depth with McNeil. If 
if McNeil chits the can, Jet, Acuna, there they go. Bye. And then when Ronnie's healthy, Ronnie takes that job. So who cares? Where Marte, it's Drew Gilbert. Where McNeil is, at, is if he's good or not, does it matter? Like, again, the, there's internal depth of better people. And yes, there is Drew Gilbert who can be that guy in right field. But Marte, when he's right, which, again, I don't we'll ever see that again, brings you more tools than Jeff McNeil, where Jeff McNeil is just going to give you batting average. When Marte is going right, he can steal bases, he can you know hit singles and doubles, and he can bring you other attributes to the field where McNeil is just going to be slapping balls all over the place at like 64 miles an hour. And that's all he really does. He does play defense, but that's about it. Where Marte can gives you more diversity to your lineup and more tools than McNeil, but again, both guys are on the hot seat for prospects to come in to replace them. So I guess the guy who makes more money and is older, I'll say, is a little more pressure because again, he was they both were awful last year. Marte, I think, was worse. So I'll give more pressure on Marte. For me, it's definitely stalling Marte. What a I, surprise! I well, wait a second. Wait a second. The main so reason why is the health. That's that's the thing. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Because, I mean, if Stalin Marte, even when he was he did play this past year, he didn't play well, even when he was healthy enough to play. So it's like if the guy isn't healthy, like who's even going to take him? That's the thing that that it really comes down to. It's like because McNeil, even if McNeil struggles, it's like if he's still playing, there's something. But if Marte can't even play, then then it's like you're giving him all that money to literally do nothing. So I, I think to me, it's like with his age and the health, I think there's a lot of pressure on him. So he he really has to because I wonder with the kind of money that he's making, if he's broken down, he might be one of those guys where you're just like, you know what, you caught him and say like if like that last year the deal. I I just caught him at that point and, and try to figure out something creative financially because that's a big waste of money for a guy to not even play. We've seen them cut salaries like that before. There go yeah. being Robinson Cano. So I mean, it could happen. But so Jeff McNeil wears jersey number six. So how about number six? All right, this one's perfect for you. We talked about the bullpen tons today. And we also mentioned that there are two pieces in there that you'd like to replace. One of the main ones being Drew Smith. So you have free agents still available. Replace Drew Smith with a free agent. Yeah, so like, let's say it's a one-year deal. I feel like a guy that I feel like we talked about not that long ago was someone like Lou Trevino, only because I feel that his stuff, kind of fits more of what they've been doing as far as the pieces that they've been assembling because, you know, he's a guy that he's got a lot of movement in his pitches. Like, obviously, you you want a, a guy like Ryan Static. Like, th that's the obvious one. But if we're trying to be more realistic here, I think a guy like Lou Trevino kind of fits more of the Stearns, guys that they've been targeting, all these one-year deals, like going to bounce back. At least they have some stuff that you like. I feel like he would fit that. And especially because we're talking about, like, the – back of the bullpen but in reverse way so it's i guess technically like the front of the bullpen like like the guys are the worst is basically what the we're trying links. to replace here yeah the weak yeah links. the weak link so you know you're not like static isn't that like static is like the legit like high leverage like i would rag static than Ottavino. like that it's more of that conversation when it comes to like the the last pieces of the bullpen i think a guy like lou trevino fits what they've been trying to do more than a guy like Drew Smith, where again, it's like, what is there actually like him? He doesn't like he doesn't have a good pitch. Like he doesn't have anything going for him right now. And just to rip your hair out, because we got to go from one rip your hair out to the other one. Bring me Alex Reyes, man. Do you know he's from New York? Oh. He's a New York guy, so we can have you know from Tom's River, New Jersey. We got a New Yorker. I mean, but also, I mean, I'm trolling to an extent because if the Dodgers couldn't fix him, he's, he's dead. Go to Tampa Bay, Alex. At this point, but just to troll you for go from Drew Smith. 
You got to get Alex Reyes. All-star, good velocity, nine-pitch mix. Go get me Alex Reyes. I think that if we win with the power of friendship, we also can win with the power of uh, family as well. Uh, a Stearns fixer-upper from last year. How about Trevor McGill? No. Available. No. Oh, Lord. No. Projecting very, projecting very well for next year. How would we get the worst? McGill? We already have him. We don't have worst McGill. He's actually better. <laughs> As of right now, he's better. I, I guess I'll go with the greatest leadoff hitter in baseball, Brandon Emma. Number one. Number one. One non-prospect to watch in spring training. I mean, I guess technically it's Bryce Montez de Yoko if he's ready or not, but... I don't think he's going to pitch at all. Exactly. So I'll go with my GOAT, uh, minor league home run champion. Guys, see some Luke Ritter action. You got to watch him, non-prospect, bunch of pop. Um, but yeah, those are those kind of, we'll see, I'm just kind of, non-prospect, that's not Luke Ritter, because Luke Ritter is the homie. Nate Lavender, because the fans love Nate Lavender, great name, great spring training last year, another lefty, never have enough lefties. Obvious one to me is DJ Stewart, because they got to figure out, like, is this guy actually going to be playing meaningful games for us or not, especially if, if you want to do like a platoon thing per se. You're going to be using the left hand to hit him more often. So I think you guys should see, like, is he a journeyman? Is he cold? Is he hot? Like, like, what is his deal? So I think he's a guy I got to watch. And the other guy that I'm actually surprised is on the 40 man is Josh Walker. I mean, he's a guy we've talked about for so long that, you know, we've seen, like, we thought there was something. I think there. he might he go for Deacon, well. to be honest. I think he might go for Yeah, Deacon, like, the fact but... that he's still on the 40 man is like, well, what's, what's his future? I mean, like, what, what's he. Because here's a guy that we've kind of seen already with, like, all these newer pieces. Like, you know, we talk about Austin Adams, the Tonkin. Like, we don't know what they are as Mets yet. So, I think with Walker, it's like, it's kind of make or break for him. If he wants to stay in the 40 man, like, we got some sump. But what about, like, Max Kronek? Like, is he still going to be around? Like, I mean, like. He'll probably stay, yeah. Actually, here's, here's another really good one, as an honorable mention. How about Sean Reed Foley? Coming off his I was going to say that. What, yeah. what is, yeah, oh, like, yeah, like, what's it? I think he's going, I think he's going to surprise a lot of people this year personally but whatever he got that extra jolt in his arm uh the first tommy john uh was hitting 98 all right let's go five tying run at third two outs <laughs> up by one run you can call on one all-time met to the mound from the bullpen who are you choosing oh we in the playoffs we in the regular jesus season? christ ain't that deep game seven why not <laughs> if it's game because i, I would I was gonna say Billy Wagner, but when the yeah, that's I'm true. Like, I, true. I don't know now. Um, oh man, because it's like 2015 familiar. We saw some good stuff, but we saw some bad stuff too. So it's like you can't really pick him either. So I mean, technically, don't you have to kind of go 22 DS? Like, we'll talk about strikeouts. He's gonna get your strikeouts. Like, you, you gotta feel like of all anytime you talk about strikeouts, like he, he's gave you the best chance at it. So. Probably 22 DS. It's the correct answer 100 times out of 100, to be honest. No two. More possible outcome. We're living in a little bit of a fantasy world here, but Alonzo, 60 home runs. Lindor, 40-40. I'll go Alonzo because we've seen him hit close to 50. How many Lindor hit last year? I, I think Lindor, what do you like? I think it was like, was it 35? 35? Well, I, I think he had 30, 30, 30, 34 one 34? Year. So I think, yeah, and overall, he, the most he hit was like 35. Yeah. You would think 35. I've seen a lot, even Juice Bowl or not, I've seen him hit a stupid amount, like in 50-plus when he hit his rookie year. So I think I'll take Alonzo in a walk year going absolutely nuts. 
Again, I think Lindor stays around at 30-30. I mean, could he I see more? So, Lindor in 2018, he had 38. Uh, but 2018, pre-juice like ball. Pre-juice ball. He, he had, yeah, so he had... He had 33-32, and then last year at 31. I'll still probably take uh, the polar bear just because, again, walkier incentive, and Boris is probably going to give him a little bit of juice, you know, after test, and just have him go nuts. I'll take Boris. I'll take the Boris Klein going with the outlier season over Lindor. I think Lindor stays around 30-30. I can see 40 steals. I don't think I, – I, it's harder for me to see the 40 homers. I can see 40 steals again or close. To, I can see a 40-steal season. I think he's at 33, 35 homer range, kind of the max where Alonzo, we know he can get to that 50-plus, and I could see him, if he had protection, easily hitting 60. I think the fact that he had 46 last year while hurt with a bad team, it's like now you give him motivation? I, I don't think it's I don't think it's too crazy. I mean, you, you look at what Judge did. Like, like Anderson said before, Judge and his walk here, a lot can happen in a walk here. You know what I mean? I mean, we've seen it time and time again. There's just like that extra, especially with something where it's like, you guys, like, I've done so much for you. You guys don't want to pay me? Like, I'll watch this. You know what I mean? Like, it's, there's a different kind of, there's a different kind of motivation of like, I'm trying to make money, but I'm also trying to prove people wrong kind of thing. I'll take seven. Seven. All right. Here's your another scenario. Tying run at third, two outs. Down one. You can call on one all-time Met to the plate off the bench. Who are you choosing? Who's Kalacha? You know the guy who really clutch is all Wilmer Flores. Shut the fuck up. He, he's just got a, a strong neck. feeling he was going to say that. Yeah, well, was... you can go a guy like Edgardo Alfonso. I think he's an interesting pick. Um, you know, I would usually say Beltran. He was, he was good in a lot of different scenarios, but not against rookie Adam Wainwright. Um, so I, I, I guess uh, you know, in all seriousness, maybe a guy like David Wright. I, I think, you know, prime David Wright, he was a really just solid all-around player. He can do it all. He give you power, give you contact, big hits. I, I think a guy like David Wright would be a nice uh, fit for something like that. Let's go 06 Delgado. You know what? Dad's a dude. Got a little bit of swag, ice in his veins, sexy bat flips. You know, David's a good choice. Beltran's a good choice. You know we ain't picking Jeff McNeil, so I, I'll go with 06 Delgado. I would go with... Not just a certain year, just like throughout his entire career, I go with Gary Carter. One, there's yeah. the thing is, is that the one thing everybody knows about Gary Carter, whether you, whether you you are a Mets fan or not, he hated making the last out. He would do anything in his power to get that tying run in. Like I, you know, damn well that he would, and he he did for a long time in his career. Yeah, four and eight, I'll go four. I guess four expectations for Francisco Alvarez for 2024. Duplicate what you got. You know, obviously bring the batting average up, great, but. Again, I'm expecting around 30 bombs, like a defense. Walk a little more. I would like a little more patience, you know, but uh, you keep hitting about 30 homers a year. You know, there's there's not much. Just, we saw a lot of good stuff. The, there was some streakiness in the last year, but again, if at the end of the season you got 30 homers, if he's higher up in the lineup, maybe you get into more run-producing spots that, that can bring up, but – Again, just continue to improve defensively. He was already elite last defensively. Provide the power. Like, at this point, it's what he is. You know, what I would love, you know, again, a whole overall haul. Now he becomes a great, you know, brings the average 280. Brings the WRC plus over 100. That'd be nice. But, you know, he doesn't walk. That's why he doesn't. So, again, I'm not having this, you know, we've seen what he is, and we saw a lot of good stuff. Just kind of duplicate that and improve in small areas, and I'll be fine. This So, for this part, is more of a hope. Or better, he better be batting like at minimum fifth in the order, hopefully higher. 
You know I mean? That, that's the first thing that they got to figure out. He's not batting ninth or eighth. Like, that would just be – with the kind of lineup they have right now, he's got to be hitting higher. So, like we said, more run production opportunities, different expectations. I, I, I do expect another, like, at least 25 home runs, 30 home runs would be great. Uh, I think if he gets off to a strong start in the beginning half of the season – Listen, All-Star is a first-half award, so if he gets, like, a hot month or two, he could make an All-Star team with the kind of home run numbers he could put up. So I wouldn't totally put that out the question. I think just overall acting like Omar Narvaez doesn't even exist, that's an expectation I have. Beautiful bad flips, a lot of swag, far home runs, great highlights on Twitter. That's my expectations. To be honest, with the lack of protection we have for Pete Alonzo right now, the expectation better be – be Jesus. Well, I mean, that's why I think it's a lot safer if you did like the Alonzo second, Lindor third, Alvarez fourth kind of thing. Yeah. I feel like that makes the most sense with the way they're currently. One prospect to watch in spring training. We did the non-prospect. How about a prospect? I guess one guy who, at least I think he'll be worth monitoring, you know, not even for this year, but maybe somewhere down the road. I think a guy like Ryan Clifford, only because we've talked so much about like need for power. He's in the minor, like in that top 10, he's probably your best power guy, honestly. So if you want like another power source, if the answer isn't getting the job done, DJ Stewart goes back to being DJ Stewart. Like we say, where else is it going to come from? And out of all those guys, it's not coming from uh, Cunha, not, probably not coming from Jet quite yet. Gilbert's got some, but Clifford's got the most. So to me, I, I think if he has a big spring training, he's got a lot of home runs, you're like, oh, wait a second. Maybe, you know, da- not too far down the road, you might actually see this guy playing for him. I seem to always take these questions, like these prospect questions. Frank always goes with the bat, and I always end up going with pitching. Um, Christian Scott, because everyone says he's a two-pitch guy. Can he develop that third pitch to maybe, you know, obviously we think Vassal's ahead of him, obviously being in AAA. He's the cream of the crop of that double-A team roster. Obviously, Tidwell got there late. Obviously, Tidwell has the higher ceilings. But I think Scott can help this year if, you know, pitching injuries happen and if he can develop a third pitch. It is something to keep in mind. Obviously, Vassal got all the hype, got the future game appearance last year, got some hype to get called up at the end of the season. So I think Vassal's another guy who is almost, again, easy, like I think Stearns has said, one call away. Uh, But any of Scott and Vassal, seem to be the two guys that, you know, who can help this team this year, not just in 2025. So I'm keeping my eye on the pitching side. It seems like every year I don't really give a shit about hitters in spring training. I'm more focused on pitching because they're usually working on stuff where guys are just trying to take ABs. Sometimes you see pitchers working on pitches and stuff like that and with the younger guys. So I think Scott or Vassal are the two guys I'm keeping an eye on. That brings us to the viewer questions that you guys sent to us. For those of you who don't know already, if you want to ask us a question, make sure to click the link in the description. Fill out our form with your name, your Mets-related question, and it could be featured on the next episode of the Mets Weekly Podcast. This one is from Correa was a Met. Yes, he was for 20 days. Oh, great. More complaining. Least favorite addition this offseason. Oh, <laughs> can we just take the, like, 30-minute <laughs> rant of Harrison Bader a little while ago and just insert it again? I mean, I, I don't, again, I think in this kind of offseason, prioritizing where the money goes, I just want to prioritize defense. I think offense is a much bigger need. It's Harrison Bader. I'm going to throw a curveball because I think Carson thinks I'm going to go one, and I'm going to go the other one. They were both signed the same day. Why the fuck is Joey Wendell here? Like, that still makes absolutely no sense. And the fact that I had to go on my Twitter feed 
and have fans and idiots complain and fighting over who was better between Luis Guillorme and Joey Wendell <laughs> in a co in not a Wilpon world, in a Cohen world, it was enough. And the fact that we forget about he's even here most of the time is proves a point where Bader, we've you know, obviously we at least because he's supposed to start. Exactly. Where we completely forget, oh yeah, Joey Wendell was signed here with no batting gloves and just wiggling the bat, play defense. So yeah, the Joey Wendell he does have like this stupid stance he has. Wiggle in the bat. He man. wiggles that bat like it's a stupid barehanded like I don't know. So again, it's just like Frank talks about like no value provided with Bader. Bader has some swag. Bader can when healthy can at least provide something. I don't know what the hell this dude's gonna do besides be Beatty's defensive player. I mean, I guess I'll take the last one that's available. Don't get it out of Adovino again. I just don't get it. I mean, but again, you have protection around. Uh, the possibilities of guys struggling, but yeah, I would have went into another direction, would have aimed a little bit younger with that. Um, he's obviously making the same salary as the first year that he was here, but I don't know. I think that there was just a better direction that you could have gone in with Adam Adovino, and um, I'm just hoping that, you know, with the depth here, he's not regularly in a seventh or eighth inning role. The rapid fire stories for this week. The Mets have traded Tyler Heineman to the Red Sox for cash considerations. Heineman was claimed off waivers from Toronto earlier this offseason and was designated for assignment as the corresponding move for Adam Adovino. The Mets have signed infielder Jose Rondon to a minor league deal that includes an invite to spring training. Rondon is 29 years old and has posted a career 628 OPS across 380 plate appearances with the Padres, White Sox, Orioles, and Cardinals. The Rays have signed former Mets minor league catcher Nick Mayer to a minor league contract. The 26-year-old Mayer was a former sixth-round pick by the Mets back in 2018 and was released by the club earlier this offseason. Three more Mets pitching prospects have been invited to big league camp. These invites include the Mets number nine overall ranked prospect Mike Vassell, number 12 overall ranked prospect Christian Scott, and number sixth overall prospect Dominic Hamill. Former Mets second baseman Daniel Murphy will be joining the SNY booth in Port St. Lucie. Murphy is expected to fill in for Keith Hernandez and or Ron Darling for at least two spring training games this March. Former Mets pitcher Joe Smith has retired from baseball after a 15-year career in the MLB. Smith was a former third-round pick by the Mets back in 2006 and has pitched for seven other teams in his career. Parting words for episode number 40. Chris Bassett, I don't know. Is there anybody else? Drew Smith wore number 40, didn't he? Big Shaggy! The big man! Yeah, it was a massive number 40. We're getting a closer to Valentine's Day and having fun and the shingle guys are going to go to Walmart and enjoy some free half-price candy. Uh, but pitchers and catchers are coming. Bullpens filled out. You know, there's still one more to thing to fill out, but it's good times. Uh, we're going Super Bowl because we're the greatest team of all time. We're going to win the World Series with the power of friendship and uh, anime in our side. Yeah, so we are getting very close to pitchers and catchers reporting, so I'm just excited for that. Just excited to see baseball again. Even if this isn't going to be a great year for the Mets, at least you know we're getting much closer to instead of talking about it reacting to it so i'm always about you know what happened instead of what might happen or what did happen i want to actually see real baseball get played so we're getting much closer to that it's you know only a couple weeks away looks like we are coming close to the end here uh i think pretty much as for the major league moves the mets are pretty much done and if you don't agree with that oh freaking well 
they're going to play no matter what. We'll see what happens with the free agent market. Maybe you see some DHs with the price coming down. Maybe the Mets are in on it. Who knows? You'll see some spring invites, stuff like that. But the main thing, obviously, that I want to see is the prospects. I want to see what we get with them because we're going to get an extended look in spring training with them. We're about 10, nine days away from pitchers and catchers reporting. We are getting very, very close to some baseball being played. It will be played this month, and uh, I'm excited for it. But other than that, we'll see you guys next week for episode number 41, which will be the Tom Seaver episode, which will be monumentous. We have nothing planned for it, but whatever. Thank you guys so much for watching, listening. Let's go Mets. Peace out. We'll see you guys next time.